Set us free, loving Father, from the bondage of our sins. And in your goodness and mercy, give us the liberty of that abundant life which you've made known to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. The word of the Lord. A reading for 1 Corinthians. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not, have, does not uh, somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the Church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The word of the Lord. 
This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for um, being able to gather together to worship and receive from you, and thank you for the great gift of your word. I ask that you uh, speak to our hearts and minds and challenge us and draw us to yourself now. Amen. Have you seen, or I'm sure you're at least familiar with, the, the Netflix show, The Crown? It's, it's a historical drama, as much as it can be, of the current royal family in England. It begins before Queen Elizabeth is queen, and then it's following its way forward. So, you know, it does have a lot of historical moments, but then there's a ton of the, well, maybe this happened, maybe this relationship was this way. They don't tell us, so they just guess and have some fun with it. But it's good. My wife and I really enjoy it. And if you watch it, maybe you agree. Even the opening title music is surprisingly good. It's one of those shows we actually watch the whole titles just for that. Um, I think one of the things that we have enjoyed about it so much, it's been so fascinating, is you see all these formalities and rituals around the royal family, within the royal family even, especially as it surrounds the queen. Um, and this has often been especially pronounced with the, the queen's relationship with the prime ministers. It's really kind of where the rubber meets the road of all these things coming together. Um, there's one in particular I remember. Um, and I'm not a huge like prime minister buff, so 
if I totally get all these things wrong, I'm sorry, I'm confused by them in some ways. But I believe it was the portrayal of a Harold Wilson, who was the Labor Party leader. That's all I know about him, and I had to look that up. Um, but in the show, anyway, it's portrayed that as he became this new prime minister, uh, many in his party and in kind of the, the, the elite group around him, they were expecting, even kind of wanting him to have at least something of a contentious relationship with the queen. As things weren't going the way they wanted in the country, they felt like she was too traditional. Maybe she was holding the country back. She was a figurehead in some way of these things. And so she's, he was meant to challenge her in these things. So I remember the first time he goes to visit the queen and the show really builds up the drama around that. People around him telling him what he should do and what it's going to be. And then he arrives at Buckingham Palace and he's led through room after magnificent room. Um, and then he has a full rundown of all the new protocols he has to follow when he's there before the queen. Um, when he bows, how often he bows, you know, um, how you respond to the queen, when you can sit, when you can stand, how the whole thing works. Um, all those little things that show respect and submission to the crown in some way. And it's a, it was a really fun moment that's that still in my head in that way because you watch as he's really kind of blown over by all of these things coming at him. It's an intimidating process. And it's a moment where maybe new ideas and challenges come face to face with this tradition and history and these trappings of great power. Um, so in the show, he ends up being a lot more respectful than he first planned. Um, he ended up showing a lot more submission to the queen than many around him wanted. Although I guess historically people think they really did become friends. Anyway, our fall sermon series uh, is Living in the Kingdom. Our God is the creator and ruler of all things. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. He's ruling over all things now as we, his people, known, forgiven, uh, saved by him, as we work to make his reign and kingdom known throughout our lives and throughout the world around us. And today we're considering another way that we do this living in the kingdom, and that is through submission. Uh, Our God is truly king. We are called to submit to his authority and leading. And that's not simply submission to one who has a lot of ceremony or the symbols of power, things like that, which is a lot like what we see in the crown. It's also not submission to a ruler just out of fear or even submission in order to try to manipulate and gain advantage. You know, if you're the guy the king likes, maybe you get your way. We submit to our king because he made us, because he he knows what is best for us, because he loves us enough to redeem us from our own sins and rebellion against him. Our submission to him um, comes in reading and understanding scripture, but especially it's seen in how we practice those things that we are called to in scripture. So today our, our, our focus is going to be try to um, focus this in. You can't just say be submissive to God in all scripture and call that a sermon. So we're going to think about how we respect and respond to God's rule um, in, in what it means to practice our mission to God by how we submit to one another, according to what we see in the scriptures. For this, we're going to be working in our First Corinthians passage. And here we will see, especially, a call to, in love, submit ourselves even to the needs of one another. We are called to make space for each other, to care for each other, even in ways that go far beyond our own preferences and desires. Let's pause for just a moment, though, and acknowledge that this is an idea that has far too often been abused, especially by leaders or those that we should be able to trust. For some, submission is a way to bolster their own egos or demand their own way to force others into compliance. And it can often be made a really hard, painful thing. 
This is not how it's supposed to be. Again, we are called to fully submit to God, not simply because he's the guy in charge, but because he truly wants what is best for us. And for the rest of us, then, we can only ever approach this topic by pointing others to what is God's best and what is his call. And this takes humility and care on our part and a real recognition that we can be wrong in what we're bringing up. But also, the submission that God calls us to, it's never coerced. It's something that we turn to, that we take on. So any submission between people can't be forced either. It has to be voluntary. It has to be an intentional, voluntary laying down of our lives for the other person. It doesn't come when it's been taken from us. As part of my becoming a priest and a deacon, really of all of our becoming priests and deacons who get ordained, um, I had to make willingly vows of submission. I willingly vowed, of course, to submit to God and his word. But then second, I vowed submission to those who are in authority over me. Um, This has been very life-giving, if not always easy. Uh, But there would be nothing good or helpful in all of this if it was forced upon me in some way. It would be meaningless as well. So today, as we explore submitting even to the needs of those around us, our ultimate response here is going to be up to, you know, it's between us and God. It's voluntary in that way. It's according to God's word spoken to us. It's not something that we will force upon you or that we even could. So turn with me now to your First Corinthians passage. This is one of my favorite teachings from Paul, in part because it's a little esoteric and weird. Um, but it's actually a lot bigger than just the passage you have in front of you. It takes up through twists and turns all of chapters 8, 9, and 10. Um, so we're kind of move around just a little bit in that section and not just what you have in the bulletin as we try to understand best how God, through Paul, is calling us to love and submit to one another. Now, right away in this passage, you see this conversation begins as a consideration of food offered to idols. And I know I can feel it from you. This is so exciting for us. We have been struggling with this, and we've just been waiting for that specific moment, that right teaching that hits this. Sorry. I actually imagine for many of us, and this is totally fine, but I'm guessing many of us had no idea this was ever an issue if it wasn't for the fact that Paul said this right here. I don't think I would have ever known it was a problem except for this. Although actually, a few years ago, we were doing First Corinthians in youth group, and we had one of our youth Um, His family had served and ministered in India for some time, and they were really glad for this teaching. One of their neighbors had regularly offered candies and treats on a household altar to their gods and then would try to give them out to the kids. So they needed this really directly about food offered to idols in that sense, and it was really interesting to consider. Um, Many around the world still find that question very relevant. But even for us, who probably aren't on a day-to-day basis dealing with food offered to idols— Paul's overall argument here is really about explaining very deeply how we are to love each other. But it does begin with this interesting issue. What do people do with this food that is offered first to idols as part of a sacrifice? Um, Now, really what Paul's talking about, and you'll see it as he moves on, he's talking about meat. That's what everyone is thinking about, meat offered as sacrifice, because that's the main thing that was sacrificed and the biggest question. And it is a big question for them. At this time, aside from fish, Most meat was really not a regular part of the average person's diet. It was just too expensive. So anytime that you could get it, you were excited. You know, it was a delicacy. It's very different from us. I can eat meat easily for all three meals a day and then some without a trouble at all. That's not how it was at this time. But then the problem on top of that was in any city, especially a big city like Corinth, which was known for having many, many temples, in any city like that, most of the meat that you encountered had first been offered to an idol as part of, you know, false pagan worship. The way that worked was, you know, if you offered a cow, 
Usually, you didn't give that whole cow. You didn't burn the whole thing up. You gave parts of it, maybe the best parts. But then there was a whole lot left. And either that would be used in big temple celebrations, or it was even taken to the meat market to be sold. So the people had a real question here. What do we do about meat? Can we go to those parties at the temples and participate? Or can we, much more complicated question, eat it at people's homes? Can we buy it in the marketplace? Is this participating in idolatry? So this question matters and really helps build this foundation for this question about loving each other. And Paul actually begins in the first verse here, considering this question by bringing up knowledge and love. And now we know Paul is a, is a very knowledgeable person. He loves knowledge. But his concern here, as he explains it, is sometimes knowledge just puffs us up. It can make us a tad full of ourselves and maybe not concerned with others, especially if it's knowledge alone. On the other hand, though, love is all about building the other up. Paul's already trying to lay out the foundation of our thinking here. This question is going to be a lot more, it's about a lot more than just being right in the end. It's not just about what you know, it's what you practice. How are you building others up? How are you loving each other? And then in verses 4 to 6, Paul does remind us what we know. Of course, there are no other gods. It's just our one God. Those idols aren't even real to other gods. That kind of feels like a huge win if you're on the side of let's just eat the meat argument. But Paul is going to continue. The real concern here, which we start seeing in verse 7, is not everyone really has or understands, holds on to that knowledge. Even in the church, there are new believers who are former pagans. These people used to worship false gods. They offered animals on these altars. And these people aren't always so certain about what they know and don't know and what this means for their lives. They were, in their former lives, they participated in temple celebrations. They, They made friends and connections through these parties, through parties in their home. Meat was part of all of that. So it's one thing to say that idols aren't real, and that's very true, but it's another thing entirely to say that means that eating the meat doesn't matter. For these young Christians, it does matter. This is a dangerous issue for them. It might be that carelessly eating meat for them is a step towards um, carelessly participating in the wrong kind of parties and everything else. It can hurt their faith. It can um, hurt what they believe about God. It can, it can call them back to the life they left behind. Paul says it really blatantly in verse 11. This can even destroy a fellow Christian. So what is Paul calling us to do then? We'll not forsake the knowledge we have, He doesn't say we then pretend idols are real or think there are more gods. But while we hold to that knowledge, we have to act out of love for our brothers and sisters. And he ultimately says this very strongly. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul is ready to completely sacrifice meat for others around him. This is certainly something he enjoys, maybe loves having. It's good for him too. You know, get certain types of protein and iron, things like that. But if meat makes someone stumble, he will leave it behind. This is what I mean by us, the fact that we have been called to submit to others' needs. Paul will give up what he wants in order to love and care for others here. In saying this, in saying, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble, Paul is trying to get right to the heart of the issue. It's obviously about more than meat. We're called to love one another, and that love can be costly to us. But we should choose serving others in love over simply holding on to those things that we like or those things we want. We can submit our desires, the things we love, to the needs of our brothers and sisters. However, even as Paul is saying this, there are really two big caveats that we want to keep in mind and that he brings out in various ways. The first 
While Paul is totally willing to give up eating meat for others, his actual guidance to the church is ultimately more nuanced than that. It's more measured. At the end of chapter 10, he tells the church, obviously, avoid worshiping and celebrating in pagan temples. That's never good. No good's going to come from that. That was an easy one to get to in some ways. But then he says, you can eat meat in someone's home. You can eat meat that you buy from the marketplace unless there are people around you who are asking about it, who are wondering, who aren't in the right place with this issue. And then for their sake, don't eat that meat. So this is a much more reasoned than just fully surrendering meat. That's because, in part, Paul's point in his really dramatic statement is to lay out that foundation for action. Again, we love our brothers and sisters, and we should be willing to fully give this up if it helps them. But at the same time, it's often possible to be wise, to be measured in how we approach these difficult issues so that we don't harm the faith of those around us, but we can still participate in that way. Paul's point is love sacrificially, but be wise in what that looks like. As I think about this, one thing that comes to my mind, this is a call for us to make sure we're being really trustworthy. We can only rely on each other's sacrificial service if, if we trust that real help, real care is coming. So I hope we can find ways to reach out to others in our needs. But then all of us, we need to make sure we're finding ways to rightly respond with love and care to those needs. Otherwise, there's no reaching out. There's no learning about these problems. There's no submitting to each other. Second big caveat here, though, and this is really important. Paul, again, said he's willing to fully give up eating meat. Again, he loves meat. I'm sure of it. But it's not a vital issue. You know, meat isn't at the core of his life or faith. We need to draw a powerful distinction here. You know, Paul never says, you know, actually, I know I have these close relationships with some, like Timothy and Titus and stuff, and that makes some of you feel left out, so I should give those relationships up. He never says, sometimes my faith in Jesus makes life harder for others, so I'll give that up. Actually, earlier in this letter, Paul says that the death of Jesus on the cross, it's foolishness and a stumbling block to others. But he says it's life for us. He's not giving up the death of Jesus because it's hard for some. So there are a lot of things in our lives that we love, that we enjoy, but that don't really have ultimate significance. They don't have that much value to be worth holding on to over and against what might be good for others. At the same time, there are things in our lives, things like our faith, our relationship with our kids, our friends and family, our church, that just shouldn't be sacrificed. Those aren't on the table here. So we can't give up what truly matters or what God has truly called us to and call that loving submission. Sometimes, though, I think the challenge for us is instead that we might hold too much. Sometimes we hold an awful lot of things central to our lives that really should not be that important. Or sometimes they aren't that central, but we're really not watching for how we might love and submit to others in the first place. We aren't considering how these non-central things might be harmful or not good for those around us. I have an example here. It's unfortunately another food-type example in one sense. But um, there's a good article I read in Christianity Today a few years ago. It was written by uh, a woman. Her and her husband had moved into an inner-city area to try to just minister to and love the people there and their neighbors. Um, And they came pretty quickly to realize just how ravaged this area had been by drugs and especially alcohol. And the more they got to know their neighbors and be part of them, the more they felt the dissonance of like going to the liquor store down the street to buy alcohol where they might be or how weird it would be to carry a six-pack past their struggling neighbors into their house. Um, 
And they ultimately felt that the only real way they could truly love their neighbors, that they could advocate and encourage change in their own li- in their lives as well, was to just fully give up drinking alcohol. That was something they enjoyed, but it wasn't that important. It didn't matter for what their neighbors needed most. They wanted to love them more and found that was something they could give for them. But at this point in the argument, Paul really isn't quite done with the whole issue now. He's not just content to leave us thinking only about meat and how we might serve others. So he continues this conversation actually through chapter 9. You don't have it in front of you. Um, In this chapter, Paul actually begins to to explain his rights, as he calls them. And he says, like, he's free, he's an apostle, he's seen the Lord. And meaning in these ways, as a church leader, he has certain rights. His big example would be um, having his living expenses covered. Um, But then Paul says he doesn't make use of these rights that he has. And his reasons are all about caring for others and also about properly respecting and submitting himself to the gospel. He's building it out like that. And then finally, he kind of, he powerfully explains all that he's trying to do and all that he's willing to sacrifice in the name of the gospel for others. Uh, If you want to look this up later, it's uh, chapter 9, verses 19 to 22. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Let's be really clear there. Paul isn't saying that he's deceiving people or that he's never sincere. He's not saying I put on a false face to try to win people over. He is saying that he really loves others and so finds every way he can to come alongside them. He is free. He doesn't have to do this, but instead he chooses to lovingly serve and submit himself to everyone he meets. He understands their culture, and he adapts as much as he can. He understands their situations, their concerns, their needs. He meets people in those places. He leaves behind his own preferences, often his own traditions. He puts aside everything whenever he can to find a way to truthfully share the gospel with those around him. He is willing to sacrifice so much to do so. And notice as Paul says this so passionately, as Paul practices this so passionately, Paul is sacrificially submitting himself here not to brothers and sisters in the church. He's doing this to people outside the church, to those who may never even come to believe in Jesus. There is just no limit to how we might try to love and serve others. I do want to point out just briefly See that Paul is talking here about these relationships he builds with people, that he develops these direct relationships. I don't think he's talking about like organizations or corporations or things like that, if that feels confusing to you. So at this point, as we're thinking about what Paul is saying, let me point out, this is something I needed to remember. Paul is here talking an awful lot about how we submit to others voluntarily. He's actually not laying out the exact details of how you might go about the people you meet in this way. So there's a voluntariness. But none of that rules out the way we're actually submitting to others by necessity. I have three kids, nine, almost six, and two. I am surprised at times still how much I have to give for them. And it's not just your kids. Um, If you're married, have roommates, parents, um, you've worked next to someone. 
There are so many ways we are already submitting to the needs of others more than we think. And those still count if you need that encouragement. God recognizes them. They still matter, even if it's not fully voluntary in one sense. This is still what it looks like in our lives to love and serve and and sacrifice and submit to others. But even with that in mind, I have to admit, as I listen to Paul talk so freely about submitting his own rights to those around him, to, to so fully sacrificing himself, that it makes me feel a bit weary. This is not easy. This is not simple, and it can go against so much of who I am normally. It's why. Why do we have to do this? Why can it look like this? Well, of course, what we see in Paul's life, it's, maybe it should be obvious. For Paul, it's never just about me. It's not about us. It's about God. We love and submit to others in this way because we are loving and submitting to God. It's like we already said. We start with submission to God, and that's what we have here. At the very end of the passage, Paul just summarizes it all by saying, do all to the glory of God. Now that means before all else, I am humbling myself before God and his glory. That's not all though. You know, Paul is certain this is more than just, you know, that visit to the queen being kind of wowed by pomp, pomp and circumstances and feeling overwhelmed. Paul is certain that in submitting to God's ways, there is deep blessing. He says as well of his sacrifices, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. On Paul's mind is always the great blessings he has known and will know in the gospel. On his mind is always the life he has and will have because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for him and for us. Paul knows these blessings, blessings like forgiveness, restoration, sanctification, blessings like finding a new family in God's people, being truly loved and truly known, the coming resurrection. These are so good and so vast that Paul wants all to share in them. He wants to enjoy these blessings with everyone he meets. So at the center of his actions is submission to God. It's submission to the gospel so that he and we may share in the blessings of this gospel together. For us, too, giving ourselves for others flows from our amazement at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we see and know so much more what God really has done for us, what God will still do for us, we will find the growing strength and desire to give ourselves for others more and more. It is hard, but it is for our joy. It's for the goodness of God's great blessings. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you are the ultimate guide and example of the one who has God submitted yourself even to us on the cross. I ask that you, again, daily and daily, um, awaken us, excite us with the power and amazement of your love and grace, the glory of this gospel, and then um, give us wisdom and what it looks like in our lives to truly love and sacrifice and submit to the needs of those around us. Um, help us, dear Lord, um, to shine your light in what we do in this way. Amen.